So good morning, everybody. It's uh, another conversation with Agility by Nature. It's a very grey and miserable day. So actually, today it's good to be working from home. And I'm very relieved that BT fixed my Wi-Fi in time because I was completely out of signal. It's quite difficult to do these Zoom calls by your phone, in my experience. Today's guest, really looking forward to speaking to Graham Padram. How are you, Graham? Morning. Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. And yourself? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, I've got my tea, decaffeinated, of course. We're already too alert as it is. Um, looking forward to it because, um, you know, you, you are uh, a business architect and um, don't come across many of them. Uh, so no. I'm looking forward to exploring uh, why, why I should have one in my roster. And uh, I know we've talked before and you've got some very interesting points that I think our listeners will be interested to delve into. Um, obviously, we've snooped through the LinkedIn. Now, unlike many of our guests who have a confetti of different jobs. You've been quite simple. It's, um, I think it was 10 years at ICL Retail, retail and just shy of 16 years of, uh, at Specsavers. So yeah. I can conclude from that, that first of all, you like retail, and second of all, when you get your teeth into a job, you really, really go for it. <laughs> How did it start with you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? So um, uh, my, my, my background goes back well before the yeah. Days, so uh, unfortunately, a bit a bit longer in the tooth than I would choose to be. Um, and had a relatively um, uh, early baptism into in, into work. Uh, fell into IT as opposed to chose it. I wasn't a, a natural tech head. I wasn't a uh, I wasn't a, a mathematician. Um, but I joined an organisation way back in 1976 that had a very modern system at that particular stage. Um, at the end of the IBM System 3, System Singer System 10 era. Um, and it was um, an opportunity to get involved about applying technology to business problems. Right. That, which has probably been the single most uh, important driver to me throughout my career. I'm not, I'm not into the technology except where it provides genuine value and benefit. And then it's about exploiting that to the best possible uh, end for the, the particular company or yeah. <laughs> problems they're trying to solve at the time. So I went through eight years, nine years before joining um, ICL oh. um, um, with fairly traditional stuff around, you know, business, being involved in the business and applying uh, yeah. techniques to that and, and also learning a little bit about programming along the way. Um, when it came around to ICL, ICL, big organisation, obviously, mm. uh, um, spent a lot of time working in the retail space, but not exclusively in the retail space. So it gave me the opportunity to spread my wings, if you like, into other business areas. And with Specsavers, I've had, I would say, three very discrete roles right. in that period. So whilst I might have been in a single organisation, believe you me, Specsavers is an organisation which stretches and demands and provides plenty of opportunity to get involved beyond perhaps the boundaries of a, of a standard role in a standard organisation. Fantastic. Actually, retail is a lot of fun. It's hard work, retail, mm. but it is a lot of fun. I, I was lucky to work with Dixons and a few others. Um, but yeah, boy, oh boy, you have to work hard in retail, I have to say. Um, and obviously, Specsavers launched a fabulous, the fabulous meme is you should have gone to. But mm. um, what you see on the high street is the Specsavers brand. But actually, it's a slightly unusual organisation. It's not a straightforward retail bricks and mortar organisation by any stretch. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's, um, I think uh, what the important thing to recognise about Specsavers is it, it, is, it is not a single organisation. It's a single brand. Yeah. 
um, with a single ethic, uh, very much a single-minded way of going about, um, you know, being number one, but acting like number two uh, and ensuring that you're always um, on the front foot. Uh, but the organization itself is uh, what you see typically in the, in the, in the high street is um, uh, a retail outlet that people would see, but that is effectively a healthcare center and it's healthcare across eyesight and audiology these yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. And often uh, a manufacturing plant as well within, yeah. single, within the single entity. So inside our UK stores, we often have um, labs which are manufacturing or rather assembling the frames and, yeah. and, and glazing some of those elements. We also have a completely vert vertically and horizontally integrated global um, supply chain. So where it doesn't make sense to be doing that locally, we can do that globally and yeah. apply throughout our territories, you know, across UK and Northern Ireland, across Northern Europe, you know, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, um, uh, and Finland and, uh, and Holland, but equally in Asia Pac as well. So yeah. um, is that there's a very strong and very, very um, effective uh, fully horizontally and vertically integrated supply chain within the spec savers arena, which most people will see as being um, patient customer relationship and delivery at the front end. There's a massive organization and a, and a big support organization based out of Guernsey as well. Yeah. As to finance and P&O and IT and all the other additional supporting functions that are required to make an organization like that work. But each of our stores is predominant is at least one business. Yep. Sometimes two, and sometimes three. In fact, predominantly uh, two these days with audiology and ophthalmics going on in the in the same uh, in the same area. And so, obviously, technology has moved quite a lot into that business world as well, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. uh, made quite a lot of changes, and I've also seen. Um, there seems to be a massive rash of now of buying glasses online. You know, if you know what your, read, your ready reader score is, just buy the glasses. And so there's quite a new threat coming through Facebook channels, digital channels as well. Is that changing the market a lot? Or, uh, and is it? I think um, uh, it will do. Uh, yeah. And it will increasingly do that. So um, the, the, the move towards um, online sales, when you've got a very simple prescription. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's effectively commodity. Why wouldn't you do that? The same is true for... Uh, contact lenses uh, well um, what the what the stores offer and what the uh, uh, the optometrists offer is uh, a service of providing insight into the detail of your prescription and yes. also the care around your eyesight yes one thing that uh, an online service doesn't do is is to provide that care and it's, it's a direction of travel for spec saves and has been throughout their existence is towards that providing care for customers as much as providing a, you know, a, a very specific prescription, but then also producing that and fitting that to you. So put those glasses on um, um, or you put those contact lenses in your eyes, there is an experience and there is a, a, a consequence of those things, which is important to understand. And it is that duty of care, if you like, as well as professionalism that you get inside the store that you would not necessarily get from an online operation. Although direction of travel absolutely is uh, technology support for that, 
and more and more online going you know, going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, remember going to Specsavers, and, and I must admit, um, you know, I, I really uh, treasure my eyes. I'm not very good at hearing, so I really, really rely on my eyes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I want to make sure it's absolutely right. Uh, so I kind of prefer to see people and get that right. Um, but it was quite interesting when I was in Specsavers about a year ago, and uh, they were quite attentive. They said, well, there's things in your eyeballs. They were talking more generally about my health. Saying, well, we'll just keep an eye on that thing because that might indicate something else. And, okay, so that was quite reassuring uh, and told you what depth of service you would really get involved with. Let me think, um, so you know, your current or your previous, because you've, you've moved on from Specsavers now and you're, you're uh, contracting and independent, but your previous role was uh, as business architect and not a, a, a job description, or job role I see too often. Mm. What does a business architect do as opposed to your commoner garden technical architect? Right, okay. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's probably um, well-recognized separation in terms of architects throughout yeah. the world. You know, yeah. so, you know uh, ships architects as well as building architects. And they, they deal with broadly a similar set of um, ideas and concepts, patterns, um, stresses and strains, um, but focus that attention into specific areas. Um, an enterprise architect uh, in, a, in, a, in an IT sense is, is usually focused at uh, the technology roadmap for an organization in order to fit that to the business need um, and to look at below the covers, you know, how much is that costing us and uh, what are the stresses and strains, what the what's the direction of technology, how are we going to get there, what are the difficult decisions we need to make, what are the key design decisions we need to make in order to achieve that. Solution architects, as you would imagine, would be taking that broad blueprint from an enterprise architect and then applying that to specific problems that the business have right here right now so very much more portfolio driven around particular projects and initiatives than um, strategy driven um, and then you get technical architects who are obviously taking the detail of that and converting that into the specifics uh, for the particular um, solutions business architect is the other end business architect is looking at the business as a whole, not specifically IT, but IT is obviously a very strong pillar inside that view. Uh, so business architects will look at it across um, people, people and organization, HR, if you like, um, process, business processes, technology, including everything within the IT arena. And uh, that's the, the, the sort of the historical three, but these days very much more data as an, as an entity within its, uh, within its own right and looking at how well each of those four areas are supporting the organization in terms of its strategic objectives as well as its day-to-day -day operation. That sounds a hell of a brief. It's pretty wide, yeah. <laughs> what, what tools and techniques do you use to, to keep that all under? Into, well, into right level are, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? So these things have grown up over the years. Not surprisingly, it's yeah. not it's only been a, sort of a, a, someone pulled a handle and we got the jackpot and all the <laughs> um, um, It continues to be uh, a developing and emerging yeah. uh, discipline, I would say. Um, it, it, it harks back. Um, really, um, well, I mean, I'm not a historian, but it, for me, it harks back to uh, uh, some some thoughts and concepts uh, that were brought around by James Martin in the in uh, um, 
uh, he talked about the great transition, you know, the, the, yeah, the uh, seven principles of right. engineering that would support that. Um, and these are ideas were, 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 were very, um, they were sort of new at the time, but they were born out of what had gone before. And obviously a lot of stuff has happened since. Um, if you look at if you look at business architecture, there are some fundamentals in there. The core of it, yeah. the core of it around business capabilities and being able to map business capabilities across those four dimensions that I mentioned: across technology, across people, across data, and across business process. Yeah. And those business capabilities are about what a business does, yeah. who does it, where they do it, why they do it, how they do it. All of those things obviously be changed but what an organization needs to do fundamentally doesn't change and as a route that gives you the ability to do an as-is assessment and a to be where we want to get to and then to start to roadmap if you like yeah journey from one to the other but uh, but join up the dimensions of people process technology and data to uh, better ensure the success of that transition so that's fairly standard architectural yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty bog standard. Um, obviously, that does allow for you know innovation to come through, uh, business challenge to come through. Business. What, who would have thought we would have been in the situation we're in now? And uh, so the challenges facing all businesses as well as uh, all communities with regards to COVID. Obviously, that drives a certain set of reassessments mm. that made and changes to. Well, we had the strategy said we're going to do this. Well, guess what? Through you know, in this particular set of circumstances, we now need to think about why. It helps provide the framework within yeah. to consider that and do the what if. They talk about business change, uh, and you're going to be delivering business change in a different environment than you were before. You've got the opportunity to consider the what if now when you do that and rejoin those dots, if you like, across uh, across those different domains to better see what it is that you need to do and also to execute that yeah i mean yeah obviously the context of the world has changed around a lot of businesses and they're probably looking at their digital real estate thinking well that's good or they might be thinking oh that's very bad <laughs> and doing some really rapid changes talking about rapid change or maybe rapid is not the right word obviously over through your career in, in the good old days things were much more waterfall driven and then we've seen the emergence of Agile, I'll use that with the inverted commas of agile because you can move quite a lot of things. But really, that's really about how do we deal with uncertainty before we try to crush out all the uncertainty, analyze it considerably. Now we import it straight into our projects and, and interchange and deal with it dynamically. Mm. Think about what you just said about business architecture. You've got this huge scope. That sounds like you need to know a lot up front, but I'm wondering actually, how do you work with an, an, an agile? And I, I know Specsavers is an agile shop, so. Well, yeah, I mean, Specsavers, Specsavers is both actually. So when I joined, oh, right. when I joined Specsavers um, back in the day, um, the, 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 the part of the very first things that I did around um, was, was engage with one or two uh, pretty early days yeah. organizations in, in the agile world. And worked closely with um, uh, the then IT director, who's still a very strongly yeah. agile uh, individual. I think I think it's, it's fair to say that Specsavers is a pretty agile organisation. Yes. Yes. So, so the culture inside the organisation is 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 get it done. Yeah. yeah. And and get it done and get it done well. 
Um, that doesn't necessarily work. Um, uh, you know, sometimes waterfall is the right thing to choose. Sometimes agile is the right thing to choose. What is important is whatever method you're choosing, it's the right tool yeah. for the problems that you face, and it's appropriate in order for the timescale and the, and the knowledge that you have. Um, what business architecture brings to the equation is agile. The great thing about agile is it's value focused, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're not delivering value, stop. Yeah. And and when you've delivered enough value, stop and yeah. reconsider. Um, now, value is is one of those things which you know, you know, beauty being in the eye of the beholder, value can be the same thing to everybody, but completely different across the uh, across the spectrum, right? Yeah. So, what's important in a value uh, in a value targeted environment is to have a sense of the comparative values. Right. So so that when you do set off on an agile project yeah and you are going to be delivering you're clear about the value context that enables you to go these are the guide rails yeah when we've got to this stage we need to now reconsider what we're doing with these resources and yeah. focus on the next most important piece of value and i've seen many um, agile projects perhaps not, not fail but but go well beyond and grow arms and limbs, if you like, beyond the initial value concept um, for all the right reasons, but they lack the guide rails, yeah. which enables them to assess internally what their value is externally across the whole organization. Business architecture is a natural um, companion to Agile because it helps to provide those guide rails. And obviously, those guide rails have to be considered in continuum because we face, whether it be COVID or whether it be uh, business challenge or whatever, political situations, uh, an ever-changing set of dynamics. So we, you need to be able to be continuously reassessing your value streams, yeah. the value propositions, and therefore the projects that are delivering value to be able to make sure you are continuing to do the thing that is most valuable to the organisation. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I, I have seen, it's strange, I've always seen some of the IT projects that become zombie projects. You put so much money in them, you never stop them, but they still haven't delivered something. And they tend to be more waterfall to be honest. But then I have seen sprint teams that have been sprinting and they were saying, yeah, we're on to 50 second sprint. And you think, uh-huh. And the sprint is two weeks. And you think, uh-huh. And what have you released? And, oh, we haven't released anything yet. And you think, oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I will put my hand up and go. That's not agile, is it? <laughs> so, that might be. That might be. That might be somebody who's flying under the agile banner, but yeah. really not agile. Um, um, and yeah, I, I, so very early on in the days, uh, Rick Kosher, who's the the IT director, and Michelle Kahn, who was the uh, the, the CIO at the, at the time, very very focused on the the value yeah. that was being produced. And ensuring that what we came up with, which was right for spec savers, but may not be right for anybody else, yeah, yeah. End, uh, was a way of mixing both Scrum and XP to try to ensure that we were focused on delivering the quality that was necessary in terms of technical excellence and ensuring that we were delivering a foundation that could be built on and changed. Because it wouldn't be agile if it wasn't, would it? Because no. <laughs> delivering something which enables change, facilitates change, um, as well as um, the, uh, the, the, the 
the, 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 the people dynamics yeah. which enable teams to work effectively um, and work well together in order to be able to deliver things in the, in the shortest possible time, make sure the right level of autonomy is around. Um, now, these, these things have got healthy tensions all over the place, haven't they? Yes. So, um, and, and, and it's really then a case of managing that to ensure that you have plenty of the healthy tensions and none of the unhealthy ones, exactly. uh, which, is, which is not easy. Um, and I'm not sure that we ever got it completely right. I do believe the blend of XP and Scrum uh, yeah. uh, enabled us to make sure we had a well-balanced approach from an agile perspective. Absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned about uh, models and making sure you choose what's right for your organization. Because obviously we've seen a lot of scaling techniques um, and, and, and also other frameworks ostensibly like Spotify model you think well Spotify worked for Spotify didn't it um it was designed by Spotify for Spotify that doesn't mean to say automatically you can then take it and plant it elsewhere yeah I mean very interesting example actually I went to Stockholm to, and visited um, Spotify in their head office over there and spoke to their chief architect um and, and or guru sorry yeah. <laughs> as, he, as he as as he was referred to and you um, and, and I think I don't think it's unfair to say what they had done there was they had chosen cherry picked yeah. the level of maturity that they needed yeah. of, of the disciplines that they were going to employ in order to give the maximum amount of value, for yeah. Spotify, which yeah. is precisely the right way of doing this. So it's not a, you, you, you're not following a method as a tick box. Yes. And it's not about waterfall or agile. Yes. It's um, or, or in an agile sprint, whether it's whether it's um, XP or Scrum or whatever, um, or what blender that it is, it is making sure that for the initiative that you are running, for the investment that you're putting in, are you using the best blend of all of those techniques in order to best assure um, success for this particular project? And if you if you go blindly in, mm -hmm. if you follow following uh, some sort of um, tick box approach by rote, you're very unlikely, you might be lucky, but you're very unlikely to get the right blend. Um, so my, I guess my experience um, of, of uh, building agile teams, running agile projects, delivering uh, those successfully, and the legacy that they hold is that um, we, we got better at getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, uh, well, we we got better at getting it right, and 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 um, that doesn't mean to say that we ever achieved um, uh, everything right all the time. And I'd be very surprised if you came up with anybody that would say that. Uh, uh, but I think that we, we we absolutely did get the right blend in the environment in which we were working for the objectives we were trying to achieve. We got a good fit. Yeah, I think people underestimate the time it takes and the effort that needs to be invested to reach that level of maturity. There's, I don't think there really are any shortcuts. I've never seen it. Like, it reminds me of the story of a you know, dancer. Someone said to a dancer, you're very lucky to be so talented. She said, yes, we are. And it's amazing how lucky. The more I practiced, the more lucky I got. It's funny, isn't it? The, the old Gary Player one, isn't it? The yeah. more I just the lucky. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. And there are some people that I think uh, it's quite interesting that, uh, you know, books are very interesting, aren't they? You can learn a lot. Yeah, yeah. The earning, um, I think it's fair to say uh, that the most significant influences I've had um, over my time have been the people and the practice uh, where you, you can learn a great deal. 
from yeah. uh, the people that you're working with. Um, and it's important, and it's important, so I feel it's very important to ensure that what it is you're doing is, is completely focused around the, the, the problem you're trying to solve for this person over here. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes things can get lost in yeah. the in the technical um, or the method uh, approach, which um, is too much about doing it right as opposed to doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and and it's important to be cons always considering: is what I'm doing actually delivering the outcome? that the organization wants. I mean, sometimes you can become a little bit myopic about the execution rather yeah. than the outcome. Uh, yeah. Really interesting that. But, I mean, that sort of two things that hit me when you say that is, first of all, you need an organization. So it's not always going to work. Some, you're going to try something. You're going to have a sprint maybe, and it's just not going to work. I don't know what not work means, but it just stuffs up. Um, and the second thing is that and I've noticed always scrum teams are very isolated from the rest of the organization. They're doing that sort of hamster wheel, working really, really hard within their little iterations. But actually, the rest of the organization isn't well connected to them, the flow of what sort of work they should be working on, the outcomes, and has it changed the business? Should we be investing more in that team? Or They are quite, they can often be isolated, whereas it needs to be the whole organization is to think about, well, what is the value we're trying to deal with? Yeah, I think, so, so this is... Um... It is very important, certainly, certainly my belief is it's very important that there is no disconnect yeah. in um, the team that is operating to produce the output, if you like, with the consumers of that output. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you are continuously releasing. Um, so I, 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 I don't believe that you have to release into the wild every two weeks. Sure. Really? Yeah, I don't. Really some people say the only measure of success is working software. Well, you can have working software, which isn't necessarily. <laughs> so, if you're building, I mean, it depends on the sensitivity of yeah, what. You're doing. Yeah. So, the, uh, Spotify, right? The only thing that they they are a technology organisation. The only thing that they do is produce technology. Well, if you're if you're producing a duty of care, yeah, product for a customer. There's a level of there's a level of ensuring the thing that you're delivering, other than the technology piece of yes. it, is actually working in order to be able to advance the duty of care for that customer, and that is joining it up with the people, the processes, and the data, and the customer, to ensure that these things are all working in unison to actually advance things. There is a um, simply the technology on its own isn't enough. No. It's vital elements of it, of course, but it has to be joined up with the other things that make the business tick. So if you are a pure technology delivery organization like Spotify, well, that, of course you'd release it into the wild and you'd, you'd take all your KPIs back and you'd assess whether or not you end up with more clicks. Yes, you did. Marvelous tick in the box, move on. It's not quite the same in all other organizations, in all other businesses. So again, it's about being context sensitive. Mm. So it's not about... Agile is failing because it's not being released into the wild. It is Agile is succeeding because it's delivering working software as a vital element of an overall delivery that will advance the business, that will advance the outcomes for customers. So it's, um, it's important to not yeah. get too um, ritualistic. 
<laughs> in, uh, in these things. And I completely understand if you're if you're delivering technology. Well, actually, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. as long as that technology isn't running a nuclear power station, right? Or, or, or even maybe yeah. my eyes yeah. very good. Well, exactly. So, so I, I, I do think uh, a bit of a, a bit of a uh, context junkie, if I dare use that word or that term. But nothing is wrong necessarily, but then equally, nothing is right necessarily unless the context in which it is being viewed, is being done, is effective. And if it's not effective in that context, it's not the right thing to do. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of context is king, to be honest. <laughs> Mind you, I used to work in publishing, so content was also key. So content, I, content, yeah. <laughs> it's overrated, Ian, isn't it, content? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It depends what you're reading at any given time. Talking about <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you can, you can certainly not, not, not all content is good, let's face it. No, but sometimes you need some bubble gum for the eyes. You can't read everything. Yeah, I can't read everything being worthy. So... Yeah. Um, so I, I like a spy thriller, I like the best of them. Talking of books, then, you mentioned that earlier, and we can learn a lot from books. What sort of, what's, what's been on the reading list um, for Graham through the, for the course of your career that you might want to recommend? Oh, my word. I mean, it's, it's, I mean uh, I'm a visual spatial guy. Uh-huh. So, so I try to avoid reading. Uh, um, but no, seriously, the, um, from a business perspective, I think the, the the, the, the book that, that, that had the biggest impact on me, and it was very early on in my career, was Jackson's Structured Programming. Right. Um, that had a massive effect on me. Um, I was lucky enough to be working and, and learning programming in an environment where um, it was a, a British-based company, a company called CTL, and they, it was an old, it was a, it was a, it was a, a modular system that had been using satellites, and they were now using it commercially. Um, and they'd separated the front-end um, entry of information, if you like, the screen-based activity, from the back-end, the processing of that in the transactional. So there was automatically a separation of concerns. Um, and what I learned through... Uh, uh, I enjoyed Jackson was it gave that great context to uh, removal of that monolithic uh, spider's web of mess of coding uh, and and ensuring you were thinking about what you were doing and you could optimize that so that it did it it did it did it well Um, and from a maintenance point of view you know well you know well described well commented from maintenance point of view it made it very easy to then go and make change and very easy to test that change. So, so it had a, a very strong effect on me learning programming and then I, those design concepts of life yeah. through, right the way through to building an architecture function for spec savers, um, right, um, from designing solutions for people uh, along my, throughout my career and ultimately into um, the business architecture world where you know, you're looking at value streams, you're looking at uh, capabilities, you're certainly looking at information and organisation mappings, yeah. uh, all of which rely on a fundamental separation of concerns and um, recognition of the value and the importance of the efficiency of each of these things. Yeah, yeah. I, we will put the link to uh, that. Is it still still going? Isn't it still published? Uh, I'm, 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 oh, I just it's, it's probably it's, pro- it's, it's probably it's probably been removed from the reading list. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, to be honest with you, but I, I'd be surprised if it has been taken off. I, I, think, I think it's a, it's got to be a cracking bestseller. Right. Well, if we can't find it, uh, we, we might have to borrow your copy and lend it out. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll go and it off. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, you have left um, Specsavers and, you know, what occurs to me just listening to you is just it's very holistic. That's a word that gets overused, in my opinion. But on this occasion, mm. I like the fact you've got the people, you've got the processes, you've got the data, which I think is often underestimated, actually, is the importance in the new world. And, of course, the technology. And, but it's also gluing or, or allowing strategy at a very high level to be connected to delivery at a very sharp technical level as well. That's yeah, fundamental, absolutely fundamentally, and yeah. Um, so that um, the great thing about uh, business architecture is if you think about it as being there's a development of strategy, yeah. helping the development of strategy, which is yeah. great and should always be reviewed. It's yeah. not lost in iron, it's you know, yeah. it's, it's a living, breathing thing. Um, and very sensitive to what's going on in the outside world um, and the challenges that any organization uh, is facing. Um, then there's the conversion of that strategy into portfolio. So what are the things that, you know, in that three horizon view, what are the things that we're going to pull off the front edge of this strategy that are going to move us furthest towards that achieving that strategy, but doing so in a, co you know, uh, in a, a coordinated manner? Yeah. Means we make you get the best bang for our buck. With yeah. the pounds we're going to be putting into it, this year, yeah. um, and then uh, and then portfolio to delivery. So yeah. around then delivering each of those portfolio items in a joined up way, but enabling teams to go off and do what they need to do to make the right decisions and in the, the, the detail to get those things delivered, and a continuous feedback loop about yeah. Yeah. the challenges that are being faced and whether and and, and reevaluating if you like what we're doing and how we're doing it to ensure we are getting the bang for the buck, if you like, that we expect to get. And without that continuous feedback loop, um, you're not really ensuring that you're achieving the ends that you set out. One of the things that James Martin talked about in his book very, very early in doing it, start with the end in mind, right? Yes, you did. Start with the end in mind. Yeah. Um, uh, I think number, uh, number one was, uh, be, uh, you know, yeah, being proactive. There was a James Covey as well. I've seen Covey, sorry, in terms of the uh, the seven habits yeah. code, precisely the same things. Um, so, um, so you know, developing strategy, converting strategy to portfolio, and portfolio into actually delivering those things fundamental. Um, and as far as uh, as far as agility is concerned, providing the guide rails that enable agile teams and agile projects go off and do what they need to do have yeah. autonomy yeah but within a context that they understand when they've they've got close to delivering the value that they've delivered they should be hungry to move on to deliver the next most important thing exactly i i i could talk to you all day about this actually because i agree with you, but not that i disagree with my guests generally Make a suspicion that people might get a little bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, um, we, we come from good company because uh, you and I worked closely with James Yoxall and uh, Rob Smith uh, and a whole rash of excellent practitioners. So uh, maybe it's yes, not sir. surprising. No, that's I mean, very good. I'm glad you mentioned James and Rob because, I mean, those, those guys have been hugely influential to me, yeah, in terms of my agile journey. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I don't think... Uh, great people to work with and along, alongside and always have that 
you know, the, this is the outcome we're looking towards here. Yes, indeed, exactly. Uh, and not being and not being too uh, rigid about about exactly what you're going to be doing any one day in order to achieve that outcome. Well, I had lunch with uh, Rob recently. He's still uh, in fine fettle. He's looking good. Great. Somehow he's managed to lose weight. <laughs> I don't know how he's done that because he's not, uh, he's he's not cheating somewhere along the way. That's he's like clearly it. somewhere. Uh, and we had a, a lovely lunch in the, the Good Egg. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Graham, if people want to get hold of you and they want to talk to you about their business and how you can bring some of that salve and magic to it, how can they get hold of you? Well, they can get me, they can, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yep. I think everybody in the world is now on LinkedIn. Indeed, but there may be other social networks just in case. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. If, if, if they'd rather get directly in touch with me, they can get in touch with me on my, on my email, which is just graham.pagem at gmail.com. Um, Pagem's a bit of an unusual name, so it's P-A-D-G-H-A-M. Uh, and uh, Graham is G-R-A-H-A-M. So... It reached me on either through LinkedIn or directly on my... We'll, we'll put a link in there for you. That'd be great. Thank you very much, Ian. Um, and so thank you so much for your time to, today, Graham. I uh, hope we get to work together on some projects going forward. Um, Graham told you how you can get hold of him. If you want to get hold of uh, us at Agility by Nature, you can contact me again through LinkedIn and you can message me uh, or you can contact me by my email, which is ian.gill at agilitybynature.com. Dot com and if i'm lucky graham might even give me a, a, his profile so i can put you in our lovely stable of wonderful practitioners as well but that's that's the end of the strong arm so it's it's pretty much cheese and tomato sandwich o'clock um and i need to get this recording off to um agility by nature's famous production department so we can have it out for people to see soon lovely to speak to you graham keep well and good luck and with you all the best cheers, cheers.